How many of you had a good Thanksgiving? How many of you are excited to be back at Cedarville? I didn't know how that would go because you've got finals coming up next week, right? Yeah, so this is my last chapel service of this semester preaching to you guys. I don't know whether you're excited because it's the last one or whether you're excited because we're having fun going through the whole series. And so whichever way, I'll take it as a positive. That's okay. You know, I don't, whatever, it's good. Today, what we're looking at is an amazing passage that I can't do justice to in 30 minutes, but I'm going to try. So let's start off this way as we begin thinking about it. It's Hebrews 11:22. It's one verse. So don't turn to Hebrews. We're flashing back to the Old Testament again. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 50. And in Genesis chapter 50, we're looking at verses 22 through verses 26. The Hebrews 11:22 passage that we're coming off of to jump backwards says this to you. It says, by faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave direction concerning his bones. So we're jumping back to that Old Testament passage to look at where Joseph gave direction concerning his bones, and he mentioned the exodus, and that's where we're going to be today. But let me get your mind started off thinking about this passage in this way. Over the break, we had an opportunity to be with my parents, which meant we had babysitting. So what do you do when you have free babysitting? You go on dates. And we went on different dates, and we went to Cheesecake Factory and ate way too much food, and, and that was glorious, and I had to repent later. And we went to another date where we went to a movie called Hunger Games. Any of you in the room seen the movie Hunger Games? Any of you in the room don't want me to spoil the movie Hunger Games for you? Yeah, I'm going to try not to give any spoilers here. But in the latest edition of the movie Hunger Games, which is entitled Mockingjay, District 13 requests that Katniss Everdeen would be their Mockingjay. And if you've seen the movie, they they call her in, and I'm not going to give away the end, but they call her in, and they want her to be the Mockingjay. What did they really want? They wanted someone who could visibly inspire the hopes of those who were under oppression and who needed hope that somebody could overcome the evil Capitol and President Snow. And they wanted Katniss to be that visible person. Okay, if you clap for Katniss, you better really clap for Joseph. That's all I got to say when I get there, all right? We'll get there. So today in our text, what the author of the book of Hebrews is doing is he's pointing to us Joseph. And think about why he's pointing out Joseph. All the great things that Joseph did in his life that he could have pointed to where Joseph lived by faith. The fact that Joseph fled from Potiphar's wife, the fact that Joseph was in a jail and he was still faithful, the fact that he interpreted the dreams, all of these different things in Joseph's life that he could have pointed to, and he pointed to this. At the very end of his life, he said, there's going to be an exodus, take my bones with you. You see, the author of the book of Hebrews started us off the beginning of this semester, verses 1 and 2, by saying that we have assurance of things hoped for conviction of things not seen. And Joseph personifies that beautifully in that Joseph is hoping for that land that had been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He has a conviction of things that he has not seen yet. And he has such a conviction and such a hope that when he looks at these things, he says, don't bury my bones in Egypt because all the power and all the pyramids of Egypt do not hold my future. You put my bones in a coffin so that you can carry them out of Egypt because my hope is not in this world. My hope is in another place. And what I want to say to you this morning 
is our hope and our bones are not destined for this world, but they are destined for a better city, an eternal city, and a better place. And I think that's why the author of the book of Hebrews included this verse in here. When he points to Joseph, he wants us to wrap our minds around and grasp the fact that Joseph lived a life that anticipated a hope and things he didn't see. And he had a conviction of that, and by faith, he gave commands. In Genesis chapter 50, verse 22 through 26, would you stand with me as we read this in honor of reading of God's Word? So Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, and counted as Joseph's own. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you will carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Dear Lord, as we look at these verses at the end of the book of Genesis, we pray that you will help us to see the hope that we have in an eternal city that you are preparing for us. And Lord, we pray that Jesus would be exalted and that we would be challenged to live a life focused on him. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Now, the last time we got together and we're here in chapel, we talked about a man named Jacob. Jacob was a person that I would not want you to pattern your life after. Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a liar. Jacob was somebody that made as many mistakes as he did good things, and, and we, we looked at that, we talked about that. Today, we're looking at a fellow named Joseph, and if I had to say, I hope that my son acts like anybody, I would have to say it would be Joseph, because Joseph may have told some dreams earlier on in his life, and maybe he came across in a way that was a little bit arrogant, maybe not, who knows exactly what was going on in that context, but, but Joseph was a person that he was a man of integrity, and no matter where he was, he did what was right, and even as you look at his life, he wasn't a guy that was up and down, he was a guy that was the epitome of being stable and being on fire for Christ, and that's what I want you to live your life in a way to do, is to follow in Joseph's footsteps and do what he did. Now, let's look at a little bit of context for this chapter. Think about the book of Genesis. It's the book of beginnings. It begins with a garden. It ends with a coffin. That should tell us something about the ravages of sin and what takes place when sin occurs as the fall happens in Genesis 3. As you think about the book of Genesis in the context of our passage today, it ends with the word Egypt, which prepares us. As Joseph is talking about God will surely visit you, and he repeats it twice in four verses, and when you see repetition in the Word of God, you know it's very concise, and so when you see that repetition, you focus in on that repetition, you say, here's what the author is trying to get across to us, and the author wants us to understand that Joseph knew God was going to visit them, and he knew that when God visited him, that prepared the way for the exodus. And so here at the very end of Genesis, you're leading right into the book of Exodus, and you see the context is playing out here. The book of Genesis closes with the promise of the land still unfulfilled. You think about what the writer of the book of Hebrews has done. He's taken us through 22 verses in chapter 11, and all 22 of those verses, he's focused on people who were looking for a land that is not yet present. It's a promise that is yet unfulfilled, and he talks about how they had hope 
and how they had faith that it would eventually occur. As the writer of the book of Hebrews does that, there's a message to us there in that the majority of time is spent on those who have never seen the actual city that they're traveling towards. And we haven't seen that eternal city that we know that the Bible tells us God is preparing for us. And so we live a life very similar to them in that we live looking forward to a city that's God is its founder that has eternal foundations, that is a city built by God. And as we look forward to that, we live in this life and we live by faith. You look at his age. He's 110 years old. 110 years old, oddly enough, is the same lifespan as Joshua. And if you were to look in Joshua chapter 24, verse 32, you would see that in the same passage is recorded their burials, where Joseph is buried and Joshua is buried. And we understand that Joseph then may be the beginning of the discussion of the Exodus, and Joshua is the person who finally accomplishes the Exodus. And so they bookend Israel's sojourn in Egypt and their arrival into the promised land. With the mention of of Egypt, we are very ready and prepared to move on into the next chapter, Uh, but we have to pause and focus here first. We see that Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation. Now that means great-great-grandsons is what he's talking about. And so Joseph lived to be an old man. He lived to see not just his grandchildren, which I hear are glorious, not just great-grandchildren, but great-great-grandchildren. And it says to us in this text, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. Now, that language we have to understand from our last discussion means that he may have adopted them as his own children, may have included them in his own inheritance, that something was taking place there. But what I want us to focus on are three points that I have for you from the remaining verses of 24, 25, and 26. The first one is this. Verse 24, it says, Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die. That's my first point for you. It's a very simple lesson. It's something we all know, but it's something that if we ever get into our brains that we live every day with the reality of this, it changes the way we live life. I'm gonna die. You're gonna die. We're all gonna die. Merry Christmas. (laughs) You get it. We're telling you the truth. You're gonna die. Think about it. If we die, what does that mean about this earth and this life? It's not the ultimate goal. It's not the end. It's not everything we're living for. And as much as your hopes and your dreams and your future lies before you as you're going through college now and you're looking to a degree and perhaps you're looking to someone else to spend that life with to accomplish all of those goals, this life is not the ultimate goal because the Bible points us to a greater city. It gives us a future hope. We understand that God is preparing for us something even greater than what we have now. We understand that this earth is ravaged with sin and we look out and we see the sex trafficking industry and we see the pornography industry and we see people beating up other people and we see people treating other people ruthlessly and we should have compassion for all of those various groups and all of what's going on. But we understand that this earth is broken and that this earth has sin and that this earth needs to be fixed. And at the end of the book of Revelation, God has a new garden. He has everything put back right so that our hope doesn't rest on this, but our hope and we understand that this is not gonna last, but our hope rests in Jesus and that ultimate city. And that's why we get through everything. He's gonna die. How does it affect your life if you understand that you're gonna die? It means you're a pilgrim passing through. It doesn't mean 
that you abandon this earth, join a monastery, move away from everybody, refuse to engage, and retreat yourself into your own spiritual enthusiasm. It means that you live in this world understanding that the second greatest commandment likened to the first is that you love others as yourself and you engage with others, but you engage with others in a different way because you understand your hope is not in material possessions. Your hope is not in your bodily health. Your hope is not in a certain job. And your hope is not in ring by spring. I got an amen right there. I like that. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. And your contentment has to be found in Jesus Christ. And if you are single with no hope at all, that's okay. Because you can use your singleness for Jesus. And you can do things that somebody with other concerns may not be able to do. And if you're engaged, that's okay too. And if you're married, that's okay too. Because all along the way in life, and I'm sure they would testify after 40-something years of marriage, contentment is found in Jesus. And that's what makes your relationship with one another better. Jesus is what we have to hope for. We see that. So what's my advice to you this morning? What's the practical application note that you want to write down if you're taking notes? I would say this. What do we do when we learn that we're all going to die? It changes the focus of our life. So focus your life on the things that money can't buy and death can't take away. For there and there alone you will find true riches. Focus your life on things that money can't buy and death can't take away. And there, and there alone, you're going to find true riches. Sharing the gospel, relationships with other people, storing up your treasures in heaven, understanding what Joseph understood here when he says, I'm about to die is an important lesson for us. There's a second lesson here, I think. It's that Joseph had hope. We see this in verse 24 also when he says, I'm going to die, but, and he includes that, but God will visit you. And he understands that God has made the promise and the land promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And this is the first time in scripture that you see that oft repeated phrase of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as it's used all throughout the Old Testament. And so we have a hope and Joseph had a hope. Think about Joseph's hope here. He had lived 93 years in Egypt. Now, I have lived about 18 months in Cedarville, and I understand that Cedarville has a culture. Egypt had a culture too, so I've got a point with this, but Cedarville has a culture. Have you ever thought about our Cedarville University culture? The Cedar Lake Monster. What is that? How many of you know what that is? People outside this university don't know what that is. I never knew a carp could attract such attention swimming around into the lake. Or have people try to throw rocks at it. I didn't know that either, but it happens. Chucks. What is Chucks? Better yet, what are Chucks bucks? Nobody else knows that except us. I've learned about upchucks. I still don't know why my daughter wants to eat an upchucks. That doesn't sound like a very appetizing thing for me, but she does. I also learned that we had a smoking section in Chucks, which gave me great concern the first time I heard that. I wanted to find out who was breaking the rules only to learn that it's where you grill your own food, that you have a smoking section. And if you sit near that section, I've also learned that you walk out with a nice fresh aroma called Ode to Chucks. I also learned that you don't use a tray unless you have a son named Samuel and then it's okay, right? Come on, you got to give me something. 
Packle? What is Packle? I'm still not sure I know what it stands for, but I've got the book that you use in class sitting in my office, so you don't, you know, Spiffo? I never knew Spiffo was a spiritual class until arriving at Cedarville. Brock to the Rock. (laughs) By the way, that's an unauthorized, not administratively approved activity that takes place on campus. And if you're doing it, make sure you're appropriately clothed when you do it in the unauthorized event. (laughs) Labor Day. I never knew Labor Day deserved fireworks and the 4th of July didn't until I landed at Cedarville. And I have learned (laughs) that Labor Day deserves fireworks and the 4th of July is just another day that the rest of the United States celebrates really, really big. Laking, it's another unapproved school activity for insurance purposes, we must say that. So if you do it, make sure you don't throw people on top of rocks. I have learned that the wind only blows when it rains or when it's very cold at Cedarville. And so the rain comes down sideways and the wind's very intelligent because it knows when we leave the fountain on and it blows in the right direction to get you covered in a lakey mist. I've learned that zero degrees with a 17, negative 17 degree wind chill factor is not cold. It's the perfect weather for you to go outside and play ultimate frisbee. Or for some of you to go on a run. I'm praying for you guys. <laughs> I've learned that getting started is an event. I've learned that alt night is too. Scab. Well, this is the only place in the world where scabs are not gross and meant to be picked at, right? (laughs) Aleve. It took me nine months to figure out that Aleve was Ville spelled backwards. (laughs) Nobody told me. I mean, I'm slow, I know, but still. Scan and scram. None of you know what that is because you're still in here, but you can ask those who weren't. (laughs) We know about it too, yep. We don't approve of it though, we just know about it. And I will never forget the first time I was issued a personal caution by another student. I wasn't sure if he was about to beat me up or what when he issued a personal caution, but I later found out what that is. So where am I going with this? There's a culture here, and there's a culture in Egypt. Think about the culture in Egypt. 93 years, Joseph has lived in Egypt. He wore Egyptian clothes. He knew how to dress. He worked for Pharaoh himself. He had an Egyptian title. He lived in an Egyptian house. He married an Egyptian woman. His children were partially Egyptian. He knew all of the customs and all of the special words and all of the special traditions of Egypt. He was, for all practical purposes, after 93 years, an Egyptian, with this exception. His God was not the God of the Egyptians. And when it came time for him to be buried, his hope did not rest in the pyramids or the power of Egypt, but his hope rested in Jesus Christ and the God who will visit us all. And so when life came to an end, he said, I'm about to die, but you do this for me. You don't let them put my bones in some pyramid. You don't let them take all of my possessions and put them with me so that I can have them for some afterlife journey that I'm going to go on because that's not what the truth is. You put my bones in a box so that it's ready to be carried out of here. And then when God visits you, however long that is, even if it's almost 400 years, you don't forget about me. And you take my bones and you take them out of this place and you take them to that city that has been promised. I don't want to be buried on Egyptian soil. I want to be buried in the land that has been promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that's faith. 
when at the end of your life, you can say with your life, my life is destined for something better, and I believe it now just as much as I believed it the entire time I was living, and that's the faith that I want, and that's the faith that I want for you, is to live a life that is so rooted and grounded in faith that you are so sure that heaven awaits you, that you live every day with the reality of heaven before you. And if we can grasp that, it will change the way we spend our hours, the way we pray, the way we live our life, the way we face temptation. Everything about life changes when we have that hope, and that hope is a realization. You know, we don't have a coffin in Egypt. We don't have bones in the promised land. We have a hope, and that hope is in an open tomb, in an empty grave, with a risen Savior. That's a blessed promise of a future home. And that's what we should be most thankful for at Christmas time. What's our hope built on? And that's my question for you in application to this section is what is your hope built on? Is your hope built in your intelligence? Is it built in your physical abilities? Is it built on your good looks? Is it built on your parents and their financial wealth? Is it built upon the government and what the government's going to do for you? Is it built upon a career and what's coming to face you? If your hope is built in any of those things, one by one, they can all fail you. But there's a great song that teaches us. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It says, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. When darkness seems to veil his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, and blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. So on Christ the solid rock I stand, because all other ground is sinking sand. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. When the last trumpet's voice shall sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. Where's your hope today? How are you living your life? Is it demonstrating hope in Jesus? There's a third point here that I want to get to. Joseph understood, and he made the son swear because he repeated it twice, God will visit you, and then he says, God will surely visit you, and you'll carry my bones up from here. And it causes me to ask the question, how is it that Joseph, in the midst of everything he went through, could look and say, I'm about to die, but you carry my bones out? And it's very simple. In the life that Joseph lived, he understood that God is sovereign. It's a key principle. To understand that God is sovereign, and just before this passage In verse 19, Joseph answered his brothers when they came to him in somewhat of a deception and said, our father says that you should forgive us. And Joseph in verse 19 says to them, do not fear for am I in the place of God? And there's an important lesson there too to understand we are not in the place of God and not being in the place of God means that we have to be slow to think we understand everything in a situation, that we have to be quick to forgive and that we must give grace often because we don't understand all the variables. We only see a slight portion of what's taking place. And he says to them, am I in the place of God, which brings humility? And he says to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And that's an important lesson that allows Joseph to say, I'm about to die, but I have hope. Because God intends it for good. Think about his life. 
Had Joseph not acted like a spoiled child, told his brother about the dreams and how they were going to bow down to him, told his mother and father how they were going to bow down to him too, then he probably wouldn't have been hated. But he did. He had a coat of many colors, which surely exaggerated the situation some. If his brothers had not hated him, then he would not have been sold into slavery. If the right group had not been passing by at just the right time, then perhaps he would have died. He wouldn't have ended up in Egypt. Had he not ended up in Egypt, he never would have gained distinction in Potiphar's house. Had he not gained distinction in Potiphar's house, he never would have encountered the first desperate housewife. (laughs) Potiphar's wife, who came on to him, falsely accused him. He went to jail wrongly. If he had not been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, he wouldn't have ended up in jail. Had he not ended up in jail, even though it was unjust and even though it was wrong, he never would have interpreted the cupbearer's dream. If he hadn't interpreted the cupbearer's dream, the cupbearer never would have known that he existed. If the cupbearer had remembered him like he was supposed to, he might not have been in jail and readily available when Pharaoh had a dream. When Pharaoh had a dream, they went to get Joseph because he could interpret the dreams. But if he had not interpreted the dream correctly, no one would have known there was going to be a coming famine in Egypt. If no one had known there was a famine coming in Egypt, many would have died, potentially even Joseph and his brothers. And if Joseph and his brothers had died, there would have been no slaves, no Exodus, no Moses, no Israel, no lion from the tribe of Judah. So what Joseph understood is, yeah, he was treated bad. His brothers hated him and betrayed him. They sold him into slavery. They took his coat. They covered it with blood. They lied to his dad. He was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife when he was trying to do nothing more than a good job and it resulted in him going to jail unjustly. And with all the negative things that happened to him in his life, he didn't get bitter about any of them. But he said, what you intended for evil, God intended for good. And he has a sovereign plan all along the way. So what happens to us next time life throws us a curveball? Next time something happens that's just wrong? Next time we feel like We're being treated badly. You know, like maybe next week with finals. What happens? You trust. You do your best. You trust. God is sovereign. God has a plan. Our hope is not in the things of this world. Our hope rests in God. Romans 8.28 tells us this. For all things work for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So understanding that God is ultimately in control, we need to be quick to forgive. We need to look for what God is up to in difficult situations. Circumstances do not determine whether God loves us or whether God doesn't love us. Circumstances sometimes don't mean anything than other than we're going through a trial that we may never know the purpose of or we may see the purpose of at the end of our life, but we trust that God is all-powerful and that God is good and that God has a plan and that God is in control. And anybody that tempts you to believe in open theism, Joseph was no open theist because he understood all along the way God had a plan and God was going to accomplish his plan and he knew that his plan was for sure going to happen. And that's why he says to them, don't you bury me in Egypt. You put my bones in this coffin, but then you take my bones out of here because this is not my destiny. My destiny is a better land. I say to you today, whatever you're going through, whatever you're going to go through, our hope does not rest in this world. Our hope rests in the fact that God did visit us in the form of Jesus as a baby in a manger. We'll celebrate that at Christmas. 
and what man intended for evil in rejecting Christ and spitting upon Christ and beating Christ and putting a crown of thorns on his head and putting him on a cross and crucifying him, God intended for good. Because that very crucifixion is the grace that provides us with the possibility of salvation. So when you're mistreated, especially mistreated for Christ's sake, count it as a blessing that you've been counted worthy. And as we enter this season, remember, you're all gonna die, but you have a hope. You have a hope that is beyond this earth, beyond this life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for the students, the faculty, and the staff that are at Cedarville. God, I thank you for the opportunity just to serve you at this place. God, I pray that this season and every season you will remind us Lord, that you're God and that our hope rests only in you. But what a glorious hope that is. Because the Old Testament tells us that you would visit them and Lord, you did visit them. Tells us of a future land and you gave them the future land. And Lord, we know that you are God that keeps his promises and that our hope in you is a sure foundation. And we thank you for that. So God, I pray that as we come upon the time where It's grading finals and taking finals and studying for finals and finishing well. I pray for our students, our faculty, and our staff that we will finish this semester well. I pray that you will bless them. I pray that your face will shine upon them. I pray that they will ever find your mercies at their doorstep and that you will prepare their steps ahead of them, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And you are dismissed.